The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 19th chapter. Then he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling things there. And he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people kept looking for a way to kill him, but he did not find any, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were spellbound by what they heard. One day as he was teaching, the people in the temple and um, one day as he was teaching in the temple and telling the good news, the chief priests and the scribes came with the elders and said to him, tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who is it who gave you this authority? He answered them, I will also ask you a question. And you tell me, did the baptism of John from, come from heaven, or was it of human origin? They discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. Then Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. The Gospel of the Lord. Don't be distracted by my appearance. I did not go eat all the donuts just now. We'll, you'll see why in a minute. Authority. Power. How is authority um, received? Often it's taken, isn't it? Authority is taken, it's coerced, it's, it's commanded, it's demanded. Authority, however, that comes... From the invitation to, to join, to follow, to become. Well, that authority is only given by trust, by faith, by actions that are seen and received, by, especially by love. Trust and love is what the disciples bring this day as they celebrate and hail Jesus as King. Jesus goes into Jerusalem and he causes an incredible stir. We're told that there is a multitude of disciples that receive him and that praise him and that give glory to him as he comes into the city. As he takes this, this route that the prophets have spoken about where the mountains will be divided. It's kind of a, a violent rendering that comes from God as, as judgment is enacted. But, but this day as Jesus takes that route, it's a, it's a celebration. Who's there? It's, it's certainly more than just 12 guys, right? Maybe Zacchaeus is there. Zacchaeus just the, the previous day or so having been encountered Jesus and having a change as he lays down before Jesus all of the wrong that he has done. And promises to follow in a different way. 
Maybe Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, were there. The ones that we will see throughout this Holy Week as, as kind of silent but present witnesses for Jesus. Maybe the woman who was healed of her hemorrhage, or, or maybe Jairus and his daughter who was raised. Maybe there are many, certainly there are many disciples with Jesus that day. But what they're saying is something that the Pharisees rightly, perhaps, think should be shushed, quieted down. It's not safe. And maybe even the Pharisees are looking out for Jesus. I don't know if you remember a month ago or so when, when they came to Jesus and said, Hey, Herod's trying to kill you. Get out of here. And what's Jesus' response? Yeah, I should probably go. It's not safe. No, you go and tell that fox. I'm doing what I do because I'm sent by my Father. And here again, he says something similar to that. Now, the reference to stones, he says even the stones would cry out if the people didn't. It's kind of ironic because later in our gospel text for today, we hear that they're afraid to answer about John because if they say he wasn't a prophet, then the people would what? Stone them to death, right? But I love this reference to the stones crying out because it, it takes me back into the Psalms with the trees clapping their hands and, and the praise being given not only by just us, we humans, but, but also by the whole creation itself. Jesus seems to say, if the people didn't welcome me, the creation itself that groans for its redemption would cry out, King of kings, Lord of lords, blessed is the name of the Lord, peace on earth and in the highest heaven. These cries speak to Jesus' authority. It doesn't get much higher than king, and certainly not higher than the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And while the expectations of many of those disciples may have been different than what we know, Jesus, than how we know Jesus fulfilled his kingship and brought in that kingdom, they still have this great expectation. But it isn't just words for Jesus. It isn't just words today for those disciples. Jesus immediately, almost immediately, we, we kind of skip over his lament for Jerusalem because we had that earlier. But he almost immediately is found in the temple and he's, it's not quite as violent of a story that we have in, in uh, Luke's gospel. But nonetheless, Jesus attacks directly the corrupt economics of the temple. The money changers and all the sacrificial economy that goes along with the temple and, and all the rest of it. Jesus takes it and he, and he turns it over and throws it to the side. Words, words of who Jesus is move to actions of Jesus and they'll get more intense as we go throughout this week. I got to thinking about words moving into actions. I got to thinking about, um, also about those cloaks that the, that the people spread, that the disciples spread for Jesus to walk on. You know, it's like we think about maybe uh, the people that we revere or call our kings and lords or ladies or queens. They walk on the red carpet, you know, right? They can't touch the ground. It's kind of the, the image I get of that. But they, they took their coats, they took their cloaks, and it got me to thinking about all of the things that I cover myself with, that I protect myself with. 
and how those might be laid down at Jesus' feet as he comes in triumph into the capital city, into our hearts today. How are these things subject to Christ's authority? First of all, I thought about this robe that I wear, this this outer robe, and I'm kind of jumping the gun on Monday, Thursday, when the stripping of the altar will include taking off our, our stoles here. These are not to, to distinguish us from you to say, oh, here we are up here with our white robes and our stoles, so much better than those lay people out there. No, it's just a sign of our calling, a mantle that, that symbolizes or, or maybe more than symbolizes that we are called by God to a certain office and ministry. It, it's, it's kind of like maybe a doctor who wears a lab coat, right? Or a, or a naval officer who wears the dress blues or, or and the stripes and chevrons and stars, whatever it might be. Or it might be um, a suit of a certain quality or, or even an apron. What does it mean to lay down our calling before God? Who we are, how are these things that I'm called to do as pastor subject to Jesus' authority? How do they change and evolve and reform and, and cut through my fears about what the future might hold when they're laid at Jesus' feet? What about the things that insulate me? I've had this jacket for so many years, I'm not sure there's any down left. But I'm pretty warm up here, so there must be some. What about all the things that insulate me, that keep me safe and warm and protected? Am I willing to lay down my comfort? And if I do, what will Jesus turn over in me? Where will I be made vulnerable to my neighbor, to my family, to the world? If I lay this down, what will Jesus do if he gets past this layer? What happens when I'm no longer fully insulated anymore? And what about this next layer, this this coat that protects me from the elements? It keeps me clean. It won't let anything in. It protects me from rain. And maybe symbolically, it protects me from pain It keeps me from caring, from engaging. Am I willing to lay down what protects me? Am I willing to risk my life, my safety, my resources? My wallet happens to be in here as well. Maybe that's symbolic of the things that protect me. If Jesus gets past this layer, I might get dirty. I might be more and more vulnerable. And what about our allegiances? What about the places and where we put our trust and our hope? What about those places, those organizations, those teams I identify with? Where do I find my meaning and purpose? Where do I live and die? And what if Jesus had authority over that place in my life? What if everything rotated around this team, this group, this multitude of disciples, this church, both this place and the wider church itself? What if everything rotated around that team rather than it just being one choice among many others? What would Jesus do with me
if I was all in here? And what about my accomplishments? Hmm? What about the things that I have done? Did I pray once on this grueling day? Did I give thanks once on that beautiful day that I rode this ride? Do I see everything I'm able to do as a part, as a pure gift from God? Do I see my failings and my shortcomings as opportunities to engage with the, with the, with the complete body of Christ? Those that fill in the gaps for me where I fail, just as I might fill in for those who have needs? What would Jesus do? Don't worry, this is the last one. (laughs) What would Jesus do if he got in there past my pride in my accomplishments? Past my pride of being a rock and an island, being able to take care of everything myself. Would I be thankful? Would I be more connected to the body? What would it be for you? What's protecting you? What are you holding on to? What needs to be laid down at Jesus' feet? Because when I lay all these things down, I'm suddenly not left with much. I'm an open target. And if Jesus gets in here, it won't be just words. He will take action. And what will that mean? What might be turned over or thrown out that I treasure? Can I trust Jesus? Can we trust Jesus? Is he who he says he is? C.S. Lewis says that if, if, if Jesus is who he says he is, if, this, if Christianity is, of no, is, is not true, then it's of absolutely no importance. It can be just another thing that we maybe do or not do. It doesn't matter. But if it's true, if it's real, if the disciples are right as they welcome Jesus into Jerusalem today, then it's the most important thing in the whole universe. And if that is so, then as we find ourselves in the shadow of the cross, we will find that all of our hopes and dreams can be laid at the feet of Jesus. Our world can be seen not as a place where just so much terrible stuff happens, but as a a gift to us and a place for us to engage. All of who we are, our growth, our maturity, is laid at Jesus' feet in thanks for the gifts that he's given. And we open our hearts to him as he enters in. And perhaps one of the things that we would love to throw at Jesus' feet and have him donkey all over would be death, that shroud that hangs over us. To know that it, it does end, that it is finite, that it doesn't have the last word. Brothers and sisters, these things we lay down at Jesus' feet today. You might even do that as you come up today to receive communion. You might just kind of put your hands out and as you put them out for communion today, just that you're laying something down at his feet. And receiving Christ in this meal, receiving his good news himself. And then you'll be open and opened 
And on Thursday, you'll be ready to come and sit with the king and receive the power of his presence in the supper. On Friday, you'll be invited to come and to lose yourself in the story of the cross and its power and find yourself as Jesus accomplishes everything. And then when next Sunday comes, when we, when we celebrate Easter, when the tomb is opened and Christ is alive again, its full meaning and power will wash over us anew. As Christ comes to us and welcomes us and shares that good news with us, that we belong to him, that our heart fully exposed and redeemed. Amen.